welcome to episode 147 of the Mash Those Buttons MASHcast. I am Jarrett, and I'm here with the scourge of Iron Forge and Games Industry Public Defender, Nick Zelenkevich. Hey, how's everybody doing? Yes, uh, how, how, how are you doing, Nick? You ask everybody how they're doing. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm here every week. That's what's important. There you go. There you go. The good thing is that you're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important. Yes. That's the important lesson here. Uh, so we're gonna actually. We we. I was gonna say we're gonna hop right into our uh, our news bites, but there is one thing I want to talk about quickly, and this is a little. I, we do have a what you've been playing at the end of the month, but today I just finished uh, Infamous First Light, and I'm not gonna go into details, but that that is how you do a DLC. That is the best DLC I have ever played, ever. So hats off to them for doing that. For for, for sucker punch, for making an awesome DLC. You had? Did you get? Did you grab the game, Nick? No. Oh, you have PlayStation Plus, right, Nick? Yes. Yeah, I grabbed. Uh, I got uh, Transistor. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, uh, it was a, free, it was a standalone DLC. You did not have to have Infamous. Yes, no, that's yeah. I just didn't get around to grabbing. And you missed it anyway. Yeah, I did. Oh, you should just buy it then, because it's, it's awesome. It, it's an amazing DLC. It really is. I still have the first Infamous that I got uh, on the, the PlayStation Three that I have yet to to play for more than like two hours. Uh, well, the first Infamous is I wouldn't say it's hard to get through, but it's like you know you play for a little bit and you're content. But once you get the Infamous Two and even Infamous like Second Son, when you're playing it, it's kind of like you, you you keep playing it. Like way longer than you would the first one. It's it's a lot easier to get through because the games are so good. But yeah, Infamous First Light, best DLC that I have played ever. So way to go, for Sucker Punch. But now let's get into our news bites because uh, I'll probably be talking more about First Light when we do our end of the month. Uh, you know what you've been playing, which is actually uh, well shit, that's next week. So uh yeah, but um yeah, yeah that is that is, that is next, next week. Damn it, yeah, yeah, that is next week. Uh, February passed so fast. Anyway, uh, let's get into our news bites. First things first, Bioware has canceled Shadow Realms, which is their first original game in six years. I mean, Bioware, at this point, we're used to them pushing out Mass Effects, and uh, why well, was I going to say Dungeon Keeper? Not Dungeon Keeper, but D- Dragon Age. Yeah. And Shadow Realms. And, Realm. and oh, supporting uh, the Old Republic. Yes, and supporting the Old Republic. You're right. Um, so... That, that like that was uh, there were a lot of people excited for this game even though I, I guess I really uh, there wasn't that much information out about the game to begin with. No, uh, I think like when they, they they announced it like at PAX East last year. I don't know if it was PAX East, but yeah, it was. I remember it being last year sometime. Yeah, I, th- I thought they announced it around that time. Yeah, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was E3. I'm sorry, uh, but um. Yeah, like it's apparently it's they they've they've been they've been working on something new, which we may uh, see tease D three or maybe even Pax East because Pax East is coming up. But yeah, by by I'm curious. Like I didn't even know enough about the game to be excited about it or not, you know, or to just be like, well, I'm not interested. It was supposed to be an online action RPG, and now it's pretty much all I knew about it. I knew it had something to do with like the real world or our, or our world, and then a shadow realm, and that's it. And now it's gone, so we'll never know. Yeah, I think the only issue is that some some people had signed up for a closed alpha, which 
I don't know if that ever materialized, but Bun- uh, not Bungie, Bi- Bioware did say uh, that they would be providing some sort of compensation to those players. So, well, did they buy into the alpha? Or? I don't think so. It's what I saw said they signed up for it. I, I hope they didn't pay for it, but I mean, it'd be nice if Bioware does something for them just for for volunteering to be in a closed alpha. I, for all I know, they might have been in the closed alpha and not be able to talk about it, and. Uh, you know, so maybe they might be compensating them for their time effectively wasted on a game that's never going to get played, get uh, released. But um, yeah, they're they're going to do something for the people that signed up for the closed alpha. Right, right. Okay, so let's. Uh, next up is uh, SOE, an uh, SOE. Sorry, the studio formerly known as SOE, uh, which is now Daybreak uh, Game Company. They had some layoffs, which I, I am honestly a little shocked that it happened this early. I mean, we just heard about them getting bought like a week ago or maybe two weeks ago. And yeah, it was a, yeah, about a week, week ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and now right, there's there's layoffs already. And it looks like they're cutting the tall grass first because the uh, the uh, former, uh, I'm trying to get the guy's exact name, but he was the, uh, uh, here, David Georgeson, who was the um, former director of development at SOE, and uh, he is no longer guiding EverQuest games, is what he said on Twitter. You know, so he he uh, he he had a big hand in EverQuest, uh, and that's that. And that I don't think anybody else really spoke out about it, but that's I guess that's how the news came out. Yeah, you know, I mean, there were the the the, the, the layoffs were confirmed via email sent to Polygon, um, and they you know it's rather regular, you know jargon that you get on these things that just it's a strategic realignment and uh you know it's 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 more to help the company even hurt it you know but i i, I mean I, I thought if they did lay people off it'll be a bit later but it looks like they came into this with a plan like okay we're going to grab the company we're going to get it down to this operation level and then we're going to continue to operate yeah so i mean it looks like they're, they're probably focused on keeping their current games running rather than getting new stuff open I wonder, yeah, I just wonder how much, if if any effect will actually be noticeable in the games that they're running. Like, how much will Georgeson leaving affect EverQuest? Or, um, or I guess even then, if he, was he, I mean, w- w- when they say EverQuest, was that the the brand or just the game specifically? Because did he uh, did he oversee EverQuest next? I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't mention that here. Yeah. So. Yeah, but um. I don't know. I, I wouldn't expect to see any anything immediately because they probably have plans in place and a release schedule, at least internally. They're probably going to hold on to that, but maybe you know, with future iterations or you know, future updates, we might see uh, we might be missing out on some things. Or I say we like I play EverQuest, but <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, the EverQuest players may be missing out on some things that they're used to having, or I don't know, they may just see a drop quality, kind of like we saw with Assassin's Creed, like you know. Um, I I want to say Eves Gillimont, but it's not Eves Gillimont. It's uh, a Patrice Desolets. Yeah, Patrice Desolets. There we go. I'm sorry, Patrice Desolets. When he left, he left at the end of Assassin's Creed Two, and uh, well, I'm sorry, he left right before Brotherhood. He left like he left before like I think the summer that Brotherhood was released. Brotherhood was awesome, and then immediately after that, you know, a year after that, we saw Revelations, which wasn't the greatest. And now, I mean. The gameplay has stabilized because the gameplay from Assassin's Creed 3 was, was was terrible, 
Um, well, this wasn't terrible. That's me overreacting. It was bad. I'm going to put it in the bad category. Um, and we, we've seen the gameplay stabilize, but the story is, like, all over the place. It's kind of like, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. We have talked about it so many fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, it's not good, folks, okay? Whenever you see, like, somebody who's been ingrained with a game for so long leave, uh, it's hard to continue that, especially when it's due to finances. Like, yeah. maybe, like not only was he expensive, maybe his ideas were expensive too. Well, not even that. Just if when he's forced out uh, unexpectedly, uh, that's that's different than when there's uh, you know a planned exit uh, with a clear line of succession, and you know they can they can make arrangements to ensure that the future of the game is protected. In this case, whatever he was thinking, if he didn't have it written down somewhere. Um, then it's it's not going to happen, right? So also, I know that the uh, the head of Planetside Two left, but he said that was he retired. He resigned. He said that's been in the makings for a while, though. So <sighs> see, that's the kind of thing that like that's the kind of thing like I would probably say just to keep morale up and make it sound like I'm not leaving because I'm disappointed or upset with the new management that came in. But the timing on that is incredibly suspicious. Yeah, but maybe, I don't know, maybe the, the change of guard made him jump up his timetable. All I would hope is that he gave his notice to leave before these layoffs were announced. Because it would suck if they're like, okay, well, we're going to keep him around and he can do this. And then he decides to leave right after they laid off a bunch of people and they're like, oh, maybe we should hire back somebody. But yeah, it, I don't know. It's, I mean, it may well, it may well be pure coincidence um, that, you know, this whatever is going on in his life, it just worked out. This was the right time for him to move on. Um, but it doesn't look good. It just doesn't look good. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more invested in Planetside 2, which when Planetside 2 than EverQuest. And that mean that by that, I mean, I've played EverQuest, not, not play, EverQuest, but Planetside 2 twice and EverQuest 0. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, you know, Planetside 2 is not a bad game at all. It's actually pretty cool. Only problem is I didn't have people to play Planetside 2 with. And Planetside 2 is definitely one of those games you have to have people play with simply because the world is so big. If you walk around by yourself, you know, you will get destroyed. And getting in with some of these clans, uh, you know, just playing with them is not the easiest because most of the time they have their own internal communications. So you're like the odd man out. You know? So... I don't know. It's it's good. I, I wish I had people to play with because it is it is a fun game. It's like battle skills. It's like Battlefield on an extremely large scale. That's so good. Uh, next news bite is uh, regarding Evolve. If you have Evolve, you probably don't want to use your account on multiple consoles. There are reports coming in that using on multiple consoles. I'm not talking about going from Xbox One to PS4. I'm talking about having on one Xbox One and then using your account on another Xbox One will reset your, will wipe your account or it'll reset your uh, stats. Now, my question to those people who are doing this is why are you using your account on multiple consoles to begin with? Do you think you're on PC or something? Like, <laughs> come on now, guys. Come on. You can't be us. <laughs> you hate us because you ain't us. No, nah, I'm joking. No, not, that was a bad joke. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, seriously, though, I, I, I wonder what circumstances... I know the one person like who wrote this article, I mean, he had they have an Xbox in their office because he's a game journalist, and he has an Xbox at home, so he used his Evolve account on the Xbox in the office and then tried to, I guess, go back at home or vice versa, and all of his stuff was wiped out. 
So I, I think most people won't have a problem with this. But if you do, if you do have the opportunity to use your account on a different console, don't. <laughs> All right, just don't do it. Uh, let's see what's next. Oh yeah, Apple responds to Freedom Heat. We, we've been we we talked about that Casual Connect uh, conference last week, and I mean it's no secret that uh, people aren't. Uh, I shouldn't say people aren't fans of Freemium, but uh, freemium, but a lot of hardcore gamers are not, and even a lot of developers who are trying to make games that are, you know, you pay three dollars, four dollars for, and you can just play. Um, a lot of those developers are not necessarily happy with the, I guess, the current what's the word ecosystem where if your game ain't free, it ain't moving. You know, so um, what Apple has done is introduced a uh, a section, a category called pay once and play. Which I think is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. called pay once and play, which is basically the model of you pay for a game and you get what you pay for and that's it. Yes. Which I think a lot of well, a lot of gamers would prefer that. Um, you know, I, I, I still don't know what's wrong with the model of free trials and then pay for the, for the rest of the game, you know? Like, actually, if there was a game, I, where's my phone? I think it was called Night Tower Night or something like that that I have on my phone. And you guys know that I do not play a lot of games on my phone. The only reason I ever checked it out is because my cousin's like, hey, you might want to check out this game. It's, it's pretty cool. Oh, shit. I just started up a game that I didn't want to start up. God damn it. <laughs> Hold on a second. This game called... <laughs> yep, there it is. Listen to that shit. There we go. That Now, this is a free-to-play game, and it's going to bother the shit out of me. I guess I want to quit. So, the reason... Now... That game was Alien Creeps, okay? And I just want to segue, not segue, but, you know, talk about that for a second. Because the thing about Alien Creeps is it's free to play, but you have these time periods where you need to, like, build up skills, kind of like the way you do in EVE, you know? And, of course, you can pay to make it go faster, and you can pay for this, you can pay for that. Um, what the game does, kind of have to restart my phone to turn the shit off, but... <laughs> What the game does is, like, once it's been activated, it will keep sending notifications to your phone over time to get these upgrades or buy this stuff now or play now. It's really annoying. And I can't find the fucking game that I actually want to talk about. Son of a bitch. Oh, here it is. Sorry, it's Nightmare Tower. Sorry about that. So, Nightmare Tower. It's uh, it's actually more than a free trial because... I guess maybe if you're good enough, you can actually get to the end of the game, but you would have to be probably one of the best video game players on the face of the planet because it's hard. It's really hard to do it without these upgrades. So you have, you can get like up to level one upgrades on everything in this game, right? You get the level one upgrades and then you're locked out from the rest. And you can continue to play, but if you want to be unlocked the rest of the game, it's two bucks. So you pay two bucks and then you have completely the rest of the game to play. I don't mind that at all. Like, does that sound like a bad deal to you, Nick? No. no that's, that's, that's a, it's actually a really good deal. It's really fair. I I approve of the purchase, but what I don't like and what a lot of other hard game, hardcore gamers like, I don't even want to say hardcore gamers. I don't want to say gamers, period, don't like is being nickel and dime. People talk about it all the time. But in order to not be nickel and dime, you can't support those games. You know what I'm saying? You can't. You just can't support those games. But, uh, yeah, this, this pay once and play category, it, I think, is pretty funny. But hopefully, it helps those developers who are still making games on the old on what's considered the old model now, which I think is the right model. Yes. So, 
Uh, well, let's see. Uh, there was I didn't even know this existed, but uh, Reading Rainbow and Oya teamed up. I guess during Reading Rainbow's Kickstarter, and one of the prizes was supposed to be that uh, once once you hit a certain level, you would get a blue and white Oya that was uh, autographed. And that apparently is not happening anymore. Because, I guess, from a manufacturing perspective, they missed the deadline for uh, to get this blue and white color. And they, they I guess, they just I guess got a whole bunch of oils produced, and they're going to have them signed. I think part of the problem was that it was the $250 level, uh, that if you donated the $250, uh, then you would receive the, the blue and white Ouya. And... Only 250 out of 500 were claimed, uh, and I think the the problem was that if they had the, the 500 number, that might have been a large enough unit for them to, to ship, um, but because they only had 250 orders for that, by the time they were actually ready to place those orders, it was too late for them to make an order of that size, and so, um, yeah, if, if, if you... You know, if you if you gave to Reading Rainbow looking for your your special blue Ouya, uh, you will not be getting that. Um, so they're looking. I don't think they've actually said what they're going to do. Uh, I don't think they've actually said what they're going to do as far as replacing that. I think the expectation is that you'll get just an autographed Ouya because uh, it's still autographed by Lavar Burton. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'll just get a regular gray Ouya instead of a. Uh, a blue Ouya, but I don't think they actually confirm that 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll still get an Ouya, but you won't get the blue and white one. You'll just get a regular one that's signed, so. I guess I don't know if that was the, if, which part of that was important to you, or, or you're just happy that you were supporting Reading Rainbow. Uh, actually, we probably should have matched this next piece of news up with uh, the Evolve account thing. I didn't even think about it. Oh yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Evolve season pass. It turns out doesn't cover a hundred and thirty dollars worth of available DLC right now. Meaning, if you paid for the season pass, it looks like the stuff that you paid for in the season pass is not available yet. Which is supposed to be like I guess four new hunters, uh, or four new playable characters. Uh, some maps and some skins. That's not available yet. However, you are more than welcome to dip into the $130 worth of available DLC, which looks like it's mostly cosmetic. So, I don't know. Like, uh, as somebody who didn't purchase these, the season pass, I'm kind of like, meh. But if I did purchase these, I can only imagine how much, how I would feel. Because well, a lot of... I, well, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, 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 finish. No, because a lot of people who, who purchase season passes... They purchase season passes because they want the complete experience, you know. They, that's what they want. They want the they want the complete experience, and in this case, they definitely are not getting that. Well, I think you're you're right, and I think the problem there might be that season pass is a misnomer because what is a season? Like in this well, case, you, you can thank Call of Duty for that because they actually do have seasons. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But and now that standard isn't been applied to the rest of the industry even though it doesn't it's it doesn't apply um because fundamentally cosmetic content is not season based I'm, it's not it's not being released in any seasonal structure so evolve is perfectly within their their rights uh or i shouldn't say evolve the developers for evolve it's perfectly within their rights to be like well this is not seasonal content it doesn't the seasonal past does not apply 
Um, but that said, it's still – what were you saying before about the companies nickel and diming people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, this is – it just it, – it just – I mean, Evolve – fundamentally, I thought – I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, Evolve had – the uh, I want to say it was free to play, but that doesn't sound right. I might be, maybe I'm thinking of another game. Um, but Evolve had the like the five or six different bundles you could buy at launch that each included like a different amount of content. I'm sure one of them w- did include the season pass, but they've they're I guess their their publisher has been very uh, upfront about trying to I don't want to say trying to get as much money from people as possible, but offering as many options for people to spend as much money as they want. Um, and so, yeah, this isn't surprising and it's just, what, uh, yeah, which, which company is this again? Cause this is, this is really, this is really just sort of shameless in their regard. I'm not so sure, man. I've, I haven't been, I haven't been too up on Evolve. Like the, the whole concept of Evolve was not attractive to me at all. Besides it being a first person shooter. I don't know who came up with this idea of, five friends playing but four four on one side and one isn't because Nintendo has a game like that too but I can see why Nintendo won a game like that on the Wii since they have that controller that almost seems like it has no purpose you know, you know go ahead Nick actually to go back for a moment what's interesting is uh, Shadow Realms was supposed to have the same kind of play where it was four players against a director who was setting up the supposed to be setting up the board against them and i wonder if maybe something about evolve made bioware realize like you know what this isn't gonna work maybe i don't know i don't know who thought that was a good idea like the, that whole concept doesn't seem fun like if i want to play co-op i want to play co-op i want to play versus i want to play versus and i want to play versus against more than one person you know what i'm saying but, I, I don't know maybe that's just me i mean everybody is entitled to their own opinion of course everybody else's opinion is wrong but I, I don't know. Well, one of one of the problems <laughs> I, one of the problems I've heard with Evolve though is that the the group matching apparently leaves a little bit to be desired, um, and also you can request which position in a group you want, but there's no guarantee that you'll get that uh, because I guess like there's the four different roles like the trapper and the I guess the medic and right. uh, the, the hunter, and then also you can also the monster. So you pick which of those five roles you want, or I think you can rank them. Um, but you might still even if you don't want to play as the monster you might still wind up being randomly thrown into an online match where you're the monster and the other problem is that you'll like people once they realize they're not going to win either as the monster they're just too close to being dead or the people are just getting their butt kicked um, people will just leave if they're losing so you might get thrown into a match where you have no chance of winning already um, yeah. and that, that can be a bit uh, that can be a bit disappointing that happens in a lot of games though yeah I think it's definitely one of those games that they, they rely on you to play with your friends but in the world of online gaming, that doesn't always happen a lot. I mean, I'm extremely surprised that it's worked out in Destiny. You know, and it's funny because it almost feels like the less option, the less options they give you to interact with other people, the more likely you are to get your friends to play something, maybe. Because mm. Destiny, the communication is terrible. Yes. It is. Yes. The communication is terrible. Like, I'm, like what, what level is your character, Nick? You said 29 20, or 20, right? I think 20, 28 or 29. So your character's 28 or 29. When you get to like 30, 31, 32, 
you will just, when you go into town, people will just start sending you invites. I don't, they might have already started doing it. They'll start sending you, like, invites to their parties and invites to, like, their party chats and stuff like that in hopes to get you to come and do, like, a raid or something. No, you know, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, yeah. If I, can have, like, I hit 32 on my Warlock this week, and it's it, it, the, the, it, picked up, it picked up so much. Like, it was happening before, but now when I step into the tower, I feel like, you know, one of those women getting hit on, on the streets. That's how it feels, Nick. I know that I know that pain now. To get to thirty two, do you have to have beaten Crota or do you have to be thirty two to beat Crota? To to get well, you could do Crota normal mode on thirty and thirty one. Uh doing Crota normal mode will get you the armor you need to do Crota in hard mode. Okay. And uh we I got thirty two. Actually I like when I was thirty one I beat Crota hard mode. And now I'm thirty two. Uh I uh I'm getting all the hard mode stuff. I got some new weapons, which I'm not going to get into all of that because this is not in orbit. This is not our Destiny podcast. <laughs> we have a whole other podcast for that, guys. So, uh, but yeah, um, Evolve, $130 worth of DLC. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes of that if, if, if you know, there's some kick, more kickback about that or not. Uh, next news bite, uh, Titanfall. Uh, there possibly may be a sequel. Uh, that is, uh, oh, sorry, probably. Electronics Arts has said that Titanfall sequel will probably happen. And then if that sequel did happen, it's probably going to be multi-console. Ouch. You know? Yeah. That, all that, right, <laughs> you know, we never really got any solid numbers on Titanfall. All of that right there tells me that the game didn't do that great. Because if the game did that great, they would have announced the sequel right away. But then again, I'm not exactly sure like what the contract was or what the agreement was between Respawn and Electronic Arts. They may have said, okay, we're going to do two games. You know, at least two games. We're going to do this much. It's kind of like they did with Destiny. Like, you know, when Destiny, before Destiny came out, there's going to be a Destiny 2. We already yeah. knew that. But, um, you know, now maybe, like, you know, they might have said, okay, we're going to do two games. And then when Titanfall play, came out and didn't do that great, maybe they're like, ah! let's look at the contract again. Maybe we won't do two games. Like, you know, like it, it, it could definitely be one of those situations because dude, I don't know anybody who plays Titanfall. And I know a lot of Most of the people who I interact with online play first person shooters. And I don't know a single person who plays Titanfall. I think anybody who was interested in Titanfall moved on to destiny. I think that, shooting aspect and i mean i know destiny doesn't have the mech concept applied to it but i feel like as far as your like futuristic first person shooter if you want that experience you're you're getting that from destiny you're not getting that i don't think so down destiny scratches a different itch for 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 people who play fps's if anything i think people who played titanfall thought it was all right they either went back to the latest call of duty or probably not even that they went back to black ops and then the remaining players are probably swept up by the new Call of Duty because I, I told you, man, the new Call of Duty is fucking solid. It is very solid. That's what I think happened. Because Destiny, like, I mean, like, Destiny, even right now, the only reason I even play Destiny is because of, I have so many friends who are playing it. And they're only playing it because I'm playing it. <laughs> So it hit like a critical mass. Yes. Where now it's just kind of self-sustaining. Like, okay, everybody's in here. They're just going to keep going with it. Yeah, it's like one of those, like, one of those, like, physics things that, like, it's moving under its own weight. Like, you know, like, it keeps spinning because it's, like, you know, 
it keeps like its own weight is keeping it spinning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the the thing with the with the, with the marbles that it just keeps going back and forth. <laughs> it doesn't stop. Um, it's it's kind of like that. Uh, but yeah, I think I don't know. Like we never got hard numbers on Titanfall. You know, if Titanfall did that well, they would have been like Titanfall sold a hundred million copies. Mm-hmm. You know, like they they didn't do anything like that. EA didn't even EA even make they didn't even make a big deal about about it during their like earnings call. They were talking more about the uh, their mobile stuff. You know, uh, I just don't think Titanfall is doing as well as as it was, and especially because Titanfall Titanfall sequel will probably happen. Yeah, you know, like that's that that's pretty weak. But but you know? I guess one one other key to that though, as far as Titanfall's success is that game came out uh what like i want to say it was actually it was closer to june last year wasn't it well it was like april april or june but it was before microsoft it was before they they uh pulled the connect right before they they split the connect out of uh yes it was definitely before that it was before they split the connect out and it was so and it was before the price drops yes so it came out at the worst time for any game to come out if you're just going to be a Microsoft exclusive because that's that true. When, that's when the Xbox One was struggling the most. If and I mean fundamentally it was available during the it was available for Xbox and PC though. But I'm not. I feel like PC is a separate argument here. <laughs> Although you are, but you know what the problem too is that it's available for PC. But I feel like it was a console shooter first, and then they just ported it to PC. Oh, so it was Call of Duty. So yeah, and I mean, except this one, this quality is a little different because of how the movement works. Hmm. Yeah, you, you, well, first of all, just shooters in general are better on PC, but especially because of the movement in this game, you're better suited for PC because you can you can aim, you can adjust your aim much faster. Hmm. So, but like, I still Call of Duty. Still, I think they they designed it for console first, and uh, you know, and then they and then they had PC in mind. I think they have to do that because if you design it with PC in mind. Then you get games that people don't buy on console, like Counter Strike. Yeah. So, but I don't know. Titanfall sequel. We'll see um, if it's gonna come out or not because it's still not confirmed. So well, I just, I, I, I just want to ask though if Titanfall, if Titanfall the first one was not console exclusive, if it, if it was allowed to come out on the PS4 and the Xbox One, it sells way better, right? It just well, it sells it sells more, but I don't know if it sells way better. Because it definitely, it's definitely one of those games that uh, I think you would you won't some people wouldn't just buy it, you know. Like for example, I don't think Destiny like Destiny wasn't those games wasn't one of those games that people just bought. It was like you start playing Destiny, you know, a bunch of people bought it. Obviously, it had a good launch, but then you hear from your friends like, "Yeah, I'm playing Destiny," or you see your friends playing Destiny a lot because it's that type of game, so you start playing Destiny. It's yeah. what Destiny is one of. Those, and I also think this is one of those games. Shit, call, Modern Warfare 4. Oh, not Modern Warfare 4, but sorry. Uh, call of Duty 4 was the same way. I like, didn't blow up all at one time. A bunch of people got Modern Warfare, uh, got Modern Warfare, and then over time, they were like, oh, you gotta, you gotta play this game, you gotta play this game, and people started getting the game. And that's what happened. So, I don't know. I don't know if being a multi-console would, uh, a multi-platform release, well, to that extent, would have helped it that much. I, know, I just don't think as a game, like it, it was just, 
it's it, it was it was Call of Duty with Max. I mean, you could do some wall running and stuff like that, but it still was Call of Duty with Max. So they need to learn, or Respawn needs to know that that belongs to Activision now. <laughs> That's not yeah. their game anymore. That that belongs to Activision. If they want to have a successful title, they need to do what they did with Call of Duty and make something original. Because the problem with the, the you know Call of Duty was born because you know the, the guys from Respawn. Um, before they went to Activision and made Infinity Ward, they actually they were a part of they they worked at EA on Medal of Honor, and what they did was they broke out of they broke away from EA, went to Activision and made Call of Duty that filled a vital gap in the World War II shooter genre, which was action. Like Medal of Honor was good and all, but in terms of action, Call of Duty was so much better. It was so much more intense. And they need to, I'm not saying they need to make a game that's more intense than Call of Duty. They need to figure out in shooters what is needed right now. What do we need to make in shooters right now? And that's how you, that's how you get successful. And that's going to be our podcast for the day. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we've got a couple more things to, to cover. Actually, nothing too long. Uh, Platonic. Uh, is uh, they are teasing a Banjo-Kazooie successor, which the reason I'm bringing it up is because I fucking love Banjo-Kazooie or Rare at that time period. Rare was on fire at that time period. Donkey yeah. Kong Country, yeah. GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie. Come on, man. Shit was awesome. Conquer. I, Conquer? What? That was so late, dude. That was so late. But Conquer's bad for a day. I had Nintendo Power for years, and I just remember seeing Conquer keep popping up year after year after year. I don't even want to talk about Conquer. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of turned into a joke itself. But uh, yeah, so Banjo, yeah, they're they're they have some they have something called Project Ukulele, and it's a worthy spiritual successor to those finally remembering platforming adventures we built in the past. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited because I mean, when was the last time we had a a really good 3D adventure platformer. They don't make those anymore. They don't. Like, I want to be able to sit in front of my TV and play a good 3D adventure platformer. They just don't have it. All, any platformer you get in the 3D realm is going to have so much assist to it. You know? Like you automatically snapping to walls or not being able to fall off edges. You know, stuff like that. Like, you know, actually, like, you know, uh, well, uh, fucking um, infamous is not a platformer, but uh, you automatically snap the stuff that that helps. But you when, when you see and that's great for that game because you're doing a lot of high flying on buildings and falling off the buildings would be you know annoying. But when I see that on like th- on platformers, you know like uh, what game was like that? I would say a, a 3D platformer like um, oh man, I can't remember the name of the game. Ugh. It was it was actually a good game. The one dude was kind of like they called him Monkey, and the girl puts the this thing around his neck to, you know, make sure she kept him alive or she, you know, he kept her alive. Oh man, I can't remember the name of that game. Had a talking pig in it. Ah, whatever. I, I can't. Oh, ride. oh, not uh, uh, not Beyond Good and Evil. No, 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 not Beyond Good and Evil. It was uh something else. I had it. It was a good game. I let somebody borrow it. Now I got it back, and I can't remember what I did with it. What system? Uh, it's it's actually it was it was actually multi-platform. Actually, I'm 
do I have it on my Steam list? I haven't. I, I was gonna say I look at my Steam list, but I have so many games on my Steam list, I wouldn't be able to recognize it if I saw it. But either way, uh, oh, Enslaved. That's it. Enslaved. That's what it was. Uh, Enslaved was 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 like a kind of like a 3D platformer, and uh, yeah, that one, like you you snapped to things. It wasn't the platforming portion was a little watered down simply because it wasn't that difficult and we need that so i can't wait for that uh last thing we have on the news bites is valve is asking developers to stop promising steam keys for v- for green light votes hmm. which i think is a, is a is a great idea because i mean well one as a developer right i mean maybe you're like well let's get past this hump and we'll worry about the rest later like as a developer like if you like are you seriously going to give Steam keys to everybody who votes for you on Greenlight? Like, what are you going to do when you go to early access and everybody already has Steam keys? Or everybody that really wants to play your game already has Steam keys? You know, well, well, here's what Valve has to say about it. We understand that running contests or giving away copies of your game can be viewed as a form of marketing, but for the purposes of Greenlight, we don't think that giving away copies of your game in exchange for votes accurately reflects genuine customer interest. Um... <laughs> giving away codes to like games journalists and stuff like that is one thing so they can review your game or talk about your game or YouTubers or whatever but giving away for everybody that's bribery isn't it well isn't part of the premise for Greenlight is I'm voting for this game my vote is essentially me saying I would pay for this game if it was on the Steam if it was available through Steam so right. when they're like well we'll give you the game if you say you if you vote for it you're not going to need to buy the game anymore so your vote kind of becomes uh, irrelevant like you it becomes redundant like you're i mean and i see why the developers do that because all they need to do if they can just get on steam then they can market and they can actually start selling but the problem is that the vote the, the whole point of the voting for Greenlight is that's supposed to be valve's way of being like okay there is a market for this game and if you just give the key to everybody who's that market allegedly is you've you've completely undercut the whole process yeah yeah yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Like it just, it works out worse for the developers, you know. I think, <laughs> they, like, then, then they're really thinking about. Well, it depends. I guess. I mean, one of the problems too is that we nobody knows like what the magic number of votes is that you need to get greenlit, and so a developer might be thinking like, we've got, you know, like fifty thousand votes. Maybe we just need like twenty thousand more. Like they, you know, they 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 may be thinking like it's just a few keys, and then we'll, we'll get there, and then everything's gonna work out great because we know that Steam is like the the holy grail of, of uh, indie development as far as once you get on there, then you can sell to the masses. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. There's there there's a lot we don't know about the pr- the procedure, and this doesn't help. It does not. So well, hopefully they stop doing that. I'm pretty sure we'll see more about it from uh, <laughs> from Valve on that. Uh, okay, let's get into our topics. Uh, not as many as before, which is why we had so many new spites. But uh, first things first, is this long-ass Peter Molyneux interview from Rock, Paper, Shotgun? I mean, if you have half a day, you might want to take a look at this thing. If, if if you like watching somebody get pummeled into submission, <laughs> read this. Yeah, and then lose all hope on life, maybe. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, dude, this is... I don't know. I don't even like the way... Okay, so I, uh, to, to start off, 
there has been some trouble brewing around Goddess, and I think uh, there was a video that came out with Peter Molyneux said that they're, they're making the team smaller, and a lot of the people are moving on to a newer game called The Trail. And Goddess in its current state is an alpha. People who back the game aren't very uh, happy about that for obvious reasons, uh, because the game isn't doing isn't that great. Well, and, it's not... Uh, I'm sorry, go it's, not, ahead. it's not even that it isn't that great. Part of the problem, too, is that they've released a mobile version for it, but that's also incomplete. And it's there at this point, people, you know, everybody who paid for the, the backing on Kickstarter, which I think it was what the, over 300,000 euros or three, no, 300,000 pounds that they got. Um, yeah. But everybody that backed it, they have no idea if they're ever going to see the actual return on their investment, which I know, you know, like rule number one of Kickstarter is you are giving your money up on in good faith kind of, and you cannot guarantee that you will get a product back even for something fully funded, especially as, in something as ephemeral as software. But the the problem here is that it looks like it, there, there's at least the impression because Molyneux talking about the trial, because the GOTIS development has almost stopped to a crawl, because it showed up on mobile before it showed up on PC. Um, there's an impression that he had no intention of fulfilling his uh, his obligations or he simply lost interest and has moved on to the next big interesting thing for him, which would be the trial. Right. Or is it trial or is it trail? Or the trail. Yeah, no, the trail, the trail. The trail, okay, I thought I was wrong. Uh, you're right, I mean, it, it, it can't seem like that. Of course, people were upset, and that led to this interview and another interview, but this is the more interesting interview, <laughs> which starts off with RPS saying, do you think that you are, that you're a pathological liar? Like, I mean, starting an interview with something like that is, just, is asking for trouble, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, what? Well, it's asking for trouble because if he's, if he's a liar, he's going to say no. <laughs> like, if he can't say yes, then it's tautologically impossible. Yes, <laughs> it is. I mean, like, it was like just trying to get a raise out of him. And, I mean, I understand that Rock, Paper, Shotgun has uh, they've developed their name by being, uh, you know, edgy, to say, to say the least. You know, they, they develop a, a reputation for that. That's like, why so many people like them, especially in the PC community. But this was like this was it, the I don't know the way the interview went. It really felt like it was made to ruffle Malnu's feathers, and it did just by his responses. You could tell he was like riled up. He, not, he, I, I don't think riled up is the right word, but I think just flustered. Then, like, would you prefer flustered? Flustered, flustered and upset. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there, there's one point where he's like. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> like, yeah. like the, 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 the argument came to like, you know, like how flawed he is. And even the interviewer had to be like, I, like nobody's perfect. We know that, but just talk about the game. Like it's, it, it, it like, I mean the, the one flaw with Peter Molyneux is that he's too passionate and he admits that in the interview here. And if you look at all of the claims he's ever made, and that's, that's the fundamental problem is that he gets so passionate in talking about these games, about how in, in fable you can plant an acorn and then come back later and you're going to find a tree there. And everybody's like, that sounds amazing. And it's amazing because it can't actually happen yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he starts talking and he gets into this passion, he doesn't, consider what is and isn't feasible and so that's how he's developed this reputation of effectively being a liar he over promises and then under delivers and it's you know it's it's one of those things like because his biggest flaw is that he's so passionate 
Like when he's being attacked on all these things, he doesn't want to underdeliver. He doesn't want to be the guy who doesn't do all the things that he says he's going to do. And so for, for Rock, Paper, Shotgun to keep hammering him, like, yeah, they're going to break him down. <laughs> and I mean, and spoiler alert, the interview basically ends with him saying that he's, he's going to stop doing all media interviews ever again. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the guy is pretty much, he's not insanely a liar. He's pretty much just calling him a liar. Saying that, you know, are you, will you admit that you are a liar because you said this and this didn't happen? The thing about being a liar, at least in my opinion, a liar is somebody who says something they know is not true. Yes. A liar isn't somebody who's like, oh, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be awesome because we're going to develop this thing where you can plant an acorn and it becomes a tree later. And in his mind, yeah, it's working. And he goes talk to the engineer. engineers like, nope <laughs> that shit ain't happening he's like but well, what if we no no not happening like i mean that shit happens all the time I mean, like when i do development work myself i'm like okay cool i'm gonna make this i make it do this i'll make it do that i'll make it do that and that's all in concept you know what i'm saying and in design but then when i actually go do something it's like hmm i can't do that yet uh that's not gonna be feasible i'm gonna have to save that for the next version like i'm you know i'm not gonna be doing this all these things you know then that happens and I can see that happening so much in game development. Yeah. Especially for by somebody who uh, is as passionate as Molina. Well, and fundamentally, I mean, the development of Godus is no different than the development of any other game where he overpromised, the game took longer to develop, it didn't live up to all the, the promises that he made, and that's happening here. But the difference is, whereas before all those conversations, like, well, why isn't this working? You know, why aren't I getting the return on my investment that I expected? All those questions are between Molyneux and the publisher. And here, all those questions are between Molyneux and the Kickstarter backers. And Kickstarter backers have a totally different understanding of the situation than a publisher would. That is 100% correct. And I mean, that, and that's, that's part of the problem with Kickstarter. Like, in the, even in the interview, the guy's kind of like, "Well, should you give their people their money back? They bought a product, and you're not delivering on that product." And the reality of the situation is, you did not buy a product. You did on Kickstarter. You did not buy a product. Even the rewards from Kickstarter are not a product you are buying. And if you think about it that way, you are thinking about it wrong. Yeah. The pro the rewards on Kickstarter are kind of just like a hey. Thanks a lot for buying this, you know, or thanks a lot for, for helping us out or supporting this. It's kind of like when you, you know, give money to a charity and they send you a keychain, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically what rewards on Kickstarter are. You like, you're not buying the game. You're not buying the rewards. You are straight up supporting the development of the game. That's what you are doing. Yeah. And a lot of people don't have that mindset. When you support a Kickstarter, first of all, there's a chance that the game will never happen. There's yes. a chance that the game will never come to life. Second of all, even if the game does come out, there's a good chance it's going to be heavily modified from what it was. You just don't know. Those Kickstarter videos that these developers do have a lot of ideas. Like A lot of Kickstarter videos says, this is what I have so far. You know, this is what I have so far, and this is what it looks like. And... You know, a lot of a lot of it's just a bunch of ideas. But do you know why they need that money in the first place? So they can try out the ideas. <laughs> you know, they, they they need to try out the ideas. Like they, they, this is what they want to do, and in theory, and it it it, it works. They're like, okay, well, yeah, we can totally do that if we do X Y Z. And then you go to do it, and it's like, oh no, we can't do that. 
<laughs> you know, like it, it's not going to work or we don't have the technology for it or it's going to, or maybe they can do it, but it's going to take more money. Well, look, look at the, the Kickstarter that started really, really brought all this into the forefront. The, uh, the double fine Kickstarter for Broken Age is, you know, that was the one that got all the attention and had everybody suddenly saying like, hey, if I'm a game developer, I, can, I don't have to go to a publisher. I can put my game up on Kickstarter and get it funded that way. And what happened with Broken Age? They had to do a second Kickstarter for it. And yep. that was after they already got more money than they asked for. Yeah. Because and and that that's one of the fundamental problems that I mean Molyneux gets hammered on this and and I feel bad for Molyneux insofar as he, you know he's being asked all these questions about well what order did these events happen and when you know when did this happen and and how much did this cost and whatnot and then there's one point where he's asked about you know like well you did an interview the other day and he's like no I didn't he's like yeah you did an interview on Monday he's like that was not on Monday he's like it was on Mondays like what day is today <laughs> yeah, exactly like like he doesn't like. He doesn't even know what day it is. And part of the problem, he says he's working like 16 hours a week. And, no, you know, a day. Sorry. Or 16 hours a day. I'm sorry. Yeah, 16 hours a week. <laughs> I'm uh, like, that's no. pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. He's working 16 hours a day. And especially now, like he's constantly on the defensive. Like he has he has no idea where he is or what's going on. Like he's just chronically under attack at this point. So technically, is is he, is he lying if he's just wrong? <laughs> yeah, see, that's, the thing. that's not lying and another thing, the thing about peter molyneux is he's not just like a figurehead for the studio he's actively working on the game yeah you know he when he say like the guy who's working on the on the story mode sits right next to him yeah <laughs> you yeah, know like there's there's one part where they start asking about when did this guy join the company and he actually yells out in the background it says you know you hear him yelling in the background like i've been here since december 2013 yeah so, <laughs> Yeah, like, like that's the thing. Like, he's actively working on this stuff. So the fact that he's catching so much heat and having to do interviews and respond to this person, respond to that person, that is actually slowing progress. Yeah, I, I can understand him being stressed in this interview going the way it did. Like, you could just he's ex- he's just frustrated. It feels like frustrated. I, 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 yeah, what's happening is because he's working so hard and now he's catching shit for it. But you know, then again. He is the head of the studio. This is his job. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you need to leave Peter Molyneux alone. Like that's no, that's not what, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying things aren't always the same. I know Rock Paper Shotgun kind of comes off as like, oh, we're gonna do some hard hitting games journalism, you know. And you know he did that. You know, you know you need to give these people their money back. You know that I hate that shit when journalists do that. Yeah. Like, like, remember that guy uh, who did the Campbell Soup commercials? Oh, well, not sorry, not the Campbell Soup, the uh, the Kraft macaroni commercials after the, like the Golden Voice Radio guy. No, you don't remember him? The the Golden Voice Radio guy, like he, like some some journalist found him, like on a str- on like a street corner or something like that, and for ten dollars he did this like radio voice impersonation. And it was awesome. And oh, then he was on the Kraft commercials after that. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize there he was looks a like, commercial. You know, he looks like Obama and like Arnold Schwarzenegger had a baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize that yeah. he was in a commercial. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, he was in a Kraft macaroni and cheese commercial. And he also did Hulu for a little bit, too. Huh. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so there was one interview that he did where after the fact, the journalist was like, and now are you going to say sorry to your mother and say that you're never going to do this again and do this and do that? Dude, who the fuck are you talking to? 
<laughs> like, like, who are you to say these things to this man? I hate when journalists do shit like that. Well, like, take the, like, try to take the high road or take this hard approach, especially in games journalism. You know what I'm saying? It's not like the project has been abandoned. The project is definitely later than it's supposed to be, you know. And Peter Molyneux should catch some shit about that. But RPS saying, hey, you need to give your these guys their money back. That's the thing to do. Like, no, dude, that's not your place to say. Well, that's that's the major the major concern is that that uh, it it sounds a little bit like the project has been abandoned, and that's one of the reasons why Molyneux has been doing all these interviews is to make sure that everybody understands like it's it's behind. This is par for the course for him, and it, you know they'll they'll get something out. But there's been I mean there's been points where they were off message. Like one of the things was the. Uh, the God of God modes, which which was supposed to go first to the winner of Curiosity, which was the uh, the cube game that uh, everybody had to tap on, and the winner of the cube game, the winner of the cube game would have a life changing experience bestowed upon them, and then that's when the the guy clicked on the clicked on the last cube, and he got to see Peter Molyneux in the empty room, promising him that he would be the uh, first God of Gods and Godus. Uh, and I think he'd be at least that for at least six months. And I think he was also supposed to get like 1% of all revenues that come from GOTUS. Um, and if the game never actually comes to fruition, I mean, because he's even saying like he can't – like before they can do God of God mode, they need to make sure the multiplayer is working. They need to make sure the combat is working. So like they know they know what they need to do and they're way behind on getting any of it actually done. Um, but – so you know, it's one of those things like before he can even deliver that, there's so much there's so much to do and this was a big thing that you know he had said let the you know he had said that there's a question that rock paper shotgun asks him like you had said that winning winning curiosity would be a life-changing experience and i don't want to waste that do you feel like you've wasted that and it's 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 i mean fundamentally it's not wrong and i and and it in a in a shorter interview it might be a more valid question but at the same time, like he said, like, you know, they're not – he still plans to deliver on that. He's, you know, until, until he says, like, GOTUS will not exist, he still plans to deliver on that. They're still working on that. Uh, does it look unlikely that it's going to happen? Mm, I mean, you know, who knows? But technically, there's, technically they're still working on it. He has a team working on that. There's one point in the interview where he actually almost breaks down person by person who in the company is and isn't working on GOTUS. And if they're not working on GOTUS, why? Yeah, yeah. I think it really feels like he should not have done this interview. <laughs> oh, it feels like he he's he's been working too hard. I mean, just I don't know, just just I I, I can understand that. Well, you know, maybe he should have a marketing person doing this and yes. stuff, and having yes. somebody filtering his interviews so he can, he can get back to work. Well, not not even that. I, I mean, looking at this interview, the way that Rock Paper Shotgun starts it off, and it's clear based on some of the comments in the interview that that. The interviewer John, I don't know, uh, I guess John Walker. That I mean, he this isn't his first meeting with Molyneux, right. um, you know, that they've talked before, and and it seems even then that there's a bit of a, you know, like the first question in the interview isn't. It's not like he just answered the phone and he was like, "Do you think that you're a pathological liar?" Like they did. There there, there was some friendliness between the two of them at some point, but I almost wonder if, if Rock Paper Shotgun wasn't approaching this like an intervention, like. Molyneux, you have a problem. You're a liar. Wake up. 
And so that's why they're so like to them, this is a form of tough love that it's not about getting the money back for the people. It's about getting Molyneux to realize like he has a serious problem with his, with what he says and maybe he can fix that. And to a degree, Molyneux admits that. And he, you know, like I said, he talks about his passion and that like being a driving force between why he overpromises. But this really, it just, I mean, what, like halfway through, a third of the way through, this really starts to get ugly. And, I mean, and I mean, Molyneux's not a young person, and I don't know much about John Walker here, but it, it feels almost like the verbal equivalent of like a young guy just beating up on an old guy. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, and, and fundamentally, fundamentally, Walker's not wrong. Uh, you know, and he, he has a right to ask those questions. Uh, you know, backers you know, deserve to know, but Bone has also been fairly upfront. He said something like they've done 57 updates. Um, and it's, it's one of those things like I think Walker needed to know when to back off a little bit. Um, and he just overpressed. He did. And I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how my, how popular my opinion is going to be. Probably not that popular, but I honestly don't think Bono should change a damn thing. I think he should keep doing what he, what he does simply because he makes, great games you know like he makes great games like populous even though i didn't figure out how to play it for god knows how long like ultimately is considered a great game black and white was considered a great game black and white 2 uh was a bit disappointing to those who i guess were really really looking forward to it because model did over promise but for somebody like me who you know I took the I'm not going to get too deep into it approach. I thought the game was great. You know, Fable through, you know, all of the Fables are, have been, you know, that Molly was involved in have been good games. So, you know, I think the fact that he's overpromising because he is very excited and zealous about what he is doing. And, you know, I think he dreams really big, which is why the games are as good as they are. But a result of dreaming big is his overpromising. And then him falling back on his promises. At this point, like I would, anything Molyneux says, I would expect for it to not come hundred percent true. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's just, that's just the person he is. That's that's I I I expect that now. So even when he was saying all this stuff about Goddess, I was like, we'll see. That's the approach I took to Goddess. Like, we'll see. It's one one of the reasons. I didn't, well, actually, I, I don't back stuff on Kickstarter because the the one time I did back some, something on Kickstarter, I didn't get my rewards for it. So that stopped me from backing anything else on Kickstarter to begin with. But I wouldn't buy the game like early access or anything like that because I want to see how it turns out. If it turns out good, I'll buy it. I'm actually I'm looking forward. I do I do I do enjoy God games. So I'm looking forward to Goddess, but I'm not expecting it to be exactly everything Malu says. If he says it's gonna be a life changing experience, you know, a totally unique game. I don't, I'm not I'm not buying that until I actually see it, you know what I'm saying? Nobody who says this game is going to be uh some totally brand new or life-changing, that never happens. Never happens. They said that about Destiny. That Destiny was going to be a brand new experience. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not. It is not. It's taken experiences I've had before and put it into a first-person shooter. That's it. So, like yeah, like uh, that, I mean <laughs> Uh, gamers, uh, we've been around long enough. We know enough about Molyneux. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's been in the industry for long enough that we should already know that if he says something, it's there's a fat chance that everything he says is gonna happen because he's a dreamer. He's a dreamer, and I, I I I like that about him. I do think that games game developers should be dreamers. Yes. 
You know, they should be dreamers. They should think big. Think way outside the box and then see if you can do it. And then if you, you know, whatever you have to do to scale it down, then you scale it down. You know, maybe you shouldn't be hanging on to every single word that he says. Because the man's not a liar. Like, I don't think he is purposely saying, oh, we're going to do this. And then in the back of his mind, like, we're not doing that shit. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's happening. I don't, I mean, sure, I mean, like, it, it, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think, like, I guess maybe it would be different if up until release he's like, yeah, the game does this, and then the game definitely does not do something. You know, that that's different, but like, you know, once, you know, features are, 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 are scaled back, that's another thing, you know. Broken promises are one thing, which is why, even if I was doing Kickstarters, I wouldn't kick, I wouldn't back a, a model new Kickstarter because he does break a lot of promises, but that doesn't make him a liar. You know, yeah. That, that that that's that's really that's really what I'm thinking. That broken promises don't make him a liar. I just wonder, like, or I guess I should say, I feel bad to a degree for anyone who who backed the game on Kickstarter without fully realizing what they were likely in for. Like, if you followed Malinu's career, this is not surprising. This was the probable outcome, and. I can see how anybody who gave into that Kickstarter, would not you know, expecting him to hit everything on time, I can see how they'd be upset. But then again, like if you're that committed to the game that you're willing to give, you know, give money over, like you should be familiar with the background here. You should know like this is probably what's going to happen. So you you shouldn't be upset that you haven't gotten your deliverables at this point. They should have Kickstarter background checks. <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't stop anything. I don't yeah. think it would. I don't know. I guess I, 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 I don't know, dude. Like, no, it's just... at, at, at the end of the day, you're the one forking over the money. I mean, it's like it's like any investment platform. You know, it's your money. You fork it over when you're comfortable doing that. And if you have not, you're your own background check. If you haven't done the due diligence to make sure that you know who you're giving the money to, and if you just haphazardly give it over and you don't get back what you want, that's on you. It's not Kickstarter's fault. It's not the people that took the money's fault. It's your fault because you didn't do the research. That is very true. You need to do your own Kickstarter research. You do like you need like you need to know who these people that you're giving money to are. And then if you you all you have to when you get when you kickstart a project, you it's kind of the way I deal with people borrowing money. When yeah. I let somebody borrow money, I do not expect to get it back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you kickstart a project, there is a you should be you should expect not to get that value back. To be honest, like it's something that you want to see. It's something that you want to see come to fruition, and you want to help with that. And that's the way you should look at it. Kickstarter is not a store. No. It's not. And that no. is the title of this podcast. <laughs> Kickstarter, is not a store. Kickstarter is not a store, dude. It really no. isn't. You need to you need to realize that you're not buying a product. You know? Maybe it should have like maybe it should be like age limits on Kickstarter. Like you cannot you cannot buy things on Kickstarter unless you're eighteen years older. Like <laughs> you, you cannot you cannot kickstart projects. I don't think I don't think I don't think Molyneux's problem here is that he was preying on teenagers. Well, yeah, but like you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying it's something that you you are 100 percent an adult, or, or I shouldn't say because 18 year olds still in my mind are not adults. And if we have any 18 year olds listen to this podcast, you may disagree with me, but when you're my age, you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> there, there there are people well into their 20s who are not adults. Oh, absolutely. 
and you will understand. Right now, they're like, fuck you guys. I'm an adult. I do what I want. I'm like, okay. Okay. You can do what you want. You are not an adult. <laughs> you were just legally, you were, uh, you know, legally responsible as an adult. That's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily feel bad for Mahonu because, you know, he, he is letting down his backers. But at the same time, I do think the Rock, Paper, Shotgun interview was, was a bit harsh. Yeah. Them trying to do some, you know, games journalism justice. Yeah. There. Well, e- even then, like, the, the sad footnote on this is that Molyneux did the Rock, Paper, Shotgun interview, and then I, uh, I think a day later he did an interview with The Guardian. And as far as I can tell, The Guardian was his last interview with the media. At this point, he basically said, like, these last few interviews have just been horrendous. I'm out. And... The little then the footnote at the end of the Guardian interview is like you know Molyneux said this would be his last interview, but we know he did another interview with Rock Paper Shotgun the other day where he said the same thing, and he actually says in the Rock Paper Shotgun interview he has an interview with the Guardian coming up, so it's like yeah. at this point they're look they're expecting him to just be telling false truths, yeah. and anytime he says anything that can be misconstrued they're immediately jumping on it, which you know it's like dude like you you literally ran him away from the media, good job. Uh, okay let's move on to our next topic uh which i guess is good news for the current state of gaming um or console gaming because you know for years for the past few years it has been a popular trend to be like oh consoles are dying consoles are dying like this is going to be the last console generation and these mpd numbers just said fuck you to everybody who said that (laughs) (laughs) because they it turns out that the combined hardware install base of playstation 4 and xbox one is close to 60 percent higher than the cumulative hardware totals for the xbox 360 and playstation 3 at the same point in their life cycles after 15 months to be exact that's huge that means like you know 15 months after the xbox 360 ps3 were released they had a number of consoles sold this one is 60% higher than that number 15 months later. You know where this falls apart? Where? Counting the Wii and the Wii U. Counting the Wii and the Wii U? If you add in the Wii and the Wii U, because the Wii sold so well and the Wii U has not, that would evaporate that, uh, that differential. Yeah, but that's why we're not, ta- we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> the Wii, for, we have already established that Nintendo does not compete in the console market. Right, but I think people last... I think there are people last generation who bought a Wii, who this generation bought a PS3 or a... I'm sorry, a PS4 or an Xbox One. Xbox One. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like the, the, the number would be greatly different. I mean, what the Wii sold last time, I checked like 96 million units, and that was a couple years ago, and they're still selling. So they they they're probably over a hundred million units at this point. So yeah, obviously it'll be it'll be different. But we're not talking about console sales in general. We're talking about the majors, the console majors, PS4 and Xbox One. Don't get me wrong, Nintendo is definitely a major player. No, no it's not. You just said it. No, no, no. Nintendo <laughs> Nintendo is a is a major player. But dude, Nintendo is like their own thing, which is awesome for Nintendo. It really is because you can't compare them to PS4 and Xbox One. Dude, they don't even have the same games. <laughs> like they, yeah, it's it's really hard to compare them. They're doing their own thing, you know. They're, they're th- the they're the artiste. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah. but I think what's 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 telling is that when you're looking at you know the PS3 and the Xbox 360 against the PS2 and the the Xbox, you're including the Wii and 
what was it? The N64, not the N64, the GameCube. You're including the Wii and the GameCube in that analysis, and you're not doing it this generation. Um, well, that, that's that, because back then Nintendo was still competing. Yeah. Nintendo, when Nintendo clutched the casual gamer, that was the, when, and that was their new audience. You know, that's good. the casual gamer is clearly Nintendo's audience. Um, uh, I shouldn't say that because they still, well, they, I don't, they don't, they don't make any hardcore games. Like everything they play, they're like the Pixar of game co- of, of, yeah. of, of 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 the of the gaming world, where they make movies for everybody, man. Yeah. Like you know, with, with Pixar movies, you it could be, you could take you and your kid, or you can take you and your girlfriend, or you can take you and your cousin. Like you could take like those movies work for everybody, you know. Yeah. And like Nintendo's the same way. Like you know, when you play Mario, it is like you know. It's as an adult, as a thirty-year-old male, I can play. I can play Mario without feeling goofy, you know. Yeah. And you, a kid, can play Mario and have a good time. It was a little different with, like, let's say, um, oh god, so I bought Sonic Colors. That was like the last Wii game I actually bought, Sonic Colors. And um, the gameplay was amazing. The gameplay was awesome, and I didn't feel goofy at all. But when it came to the cutscenes, they were a little goofy because it was kiddish. Yeah, you know. Uh, but like, yeah, the, the the gameplay itself was really solid, and Mario games and Zelda games don't do that. They just have awesome, awesome gameplay, great stories. I guess as great as a Mario story as you're gonna get, you know, and, and and that's it. And you know how good Nintendo is. This article is about PS4 and Xbox One. We are talking about Nintendo yes. right now, <laughs> yes. and how awesome they are. Not how good these com- these numbers are looking for the current generation of console. Even with the Xbox One getting trounced by Sony, it, it, the, the numbers are still sixty percent higher than the previous gen. You know, and that that's really really good news for you know. This current generation of console, that means that the consoles are alive and well. They just needed new life. The reason why console sales were not that great in the last generation is because, one, they were old. Two, they weren't really suited to, you know, for this digital generation. Like, I know so many people who buy games digitally now, you know? I still wouldn't recommend it because when fucking PSN went down, I couldn't play Infamous First Light. Mm. Now, luckily, I didn't pay for that, but I would have been super pissed. If I couldn't, if I couldn't play it, you know, or if I paid for it and couldn't play it, you know, so yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, dude. Like it's it, that that's 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 really really good news, and the haters should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the way it is. Like actually, yeah, where are those analysis now? Like, what was that guy? Who was that guy that we hated every time we made an analysis? I'm not pa- talking about Paul Tassie from Pactor. Forbes. Yeah, Pactor. Where the fuck is Pactor now? Huh? Because he was definitely hailing the death of consoles. And saying mobile's going to take over. That's all that really matters. Nintendo's going to get trounced by the iPhone. What, Where what, are you now? Wasn't he working for the escapist and then got let go? They ended his show, yeah. Or one of those sites? Yeah, so maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe that's why we haven't heard anything from him. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I haven't heard anything from him now. It's like, it's funny. They stay quiet when things are going good. But, you know, when they, when they want to shake things up. They come out and start running their mouths. I'm talking about, mm, fuck out of here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 good that the console base is doing well, um, you know, well enough. And it, it actually says a lot about gaming. Like you know, 
we've been saying game sh- gaming's been mainstream for a while, and now it's just gaining more mainstream acceptance. You know, playing games in general isn't considered a nerdy thing. Now it's different like, because the average, uh, like a lot of people have Call of Duty and Madden and these, you know, games, I'll say for definitely for casuals, and they play them a lot. So playing video games is more, is, is more, become more accepted. And now it's just certain games, I think. I think MMOs still have a s- stigma. You know, space games still have like a stigma. You know what I'm saying? Like these realistic, more realistic games may not necessarily, uh, well, I said realistic, I call these realistic. It's not. But, but uh, you know, these other games don't necessarily have that stigma, so gaming is becoming more accepted. Um, now, a lot of that progress is being bashed thanks to fucking the coverage of Gamergate, uh, and especially that Law & Order episode that just aired. I haven't heard one good thing about it. Like, a lot of the, well, a lot of the opinions that I'm actually hearing about it are that, you know, they basically just trashed the hardcore and they broke down into a bunch of tropes about the hardcore gamers. And that's what it is. I mean, the one-liners from that episode alone, uh, I really wish I had those links up that, you know, Ice-T was saying. <laughs> Wrong move, player. <laughs> like, you know, stuff like that. There's uh, no reset button in real life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, bro- it broke down to that, uh, which, you know, who said that th- we-, we didn't expect something like that? We totally did. Um but yeah, like like things like that are definitely not helping the perception. And I wrote a long, I'm not a long article. I wrote an article about that, about you know whose fault that is. And it's not Anita Sarkeesian's fault. It's not the game's media fault. It's not even Ice T's fault. It's the, <laughs> the, it's the fault of the people who are harassing in the first place. They ruined game, like you know what Gamergate could be. They, they you know now Gamergate is just. Um, a flag for misogynists. So congratulations if that's what you're trying to do because you did it. And anybody, I mean, anybody who uh, who who is about what Gamergate originally supported, uh, who was who about, you know, equality and fairness in games journalism, please stop using the Gamergate tag. Please stop. You got to do something new. You, you got to get away from that because you're going to hurt, you're hurting yourself more than you are helping at this point. You know, but uh, let's let's not get that's 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 a dark road. I don't feel like taking right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but like I said, that that stuff's not helping. But gaming is becoming way more accepted. So that that that's good. That's good for that's good for all of us. Um, last topic for the night. It turns out that esports prize money. You know, if you if you play esports. Uh, like competitively, I should say, not just playing league, but you know, uh, actually competing for money. Uh, last year might have been a good year for you because it looks like you know esports prize money pretty much doubled in 2014 from what it was in 2013. Uh, that means uh, you know, I, I guess the the main the same games were were the the games were the same in terms of the popular esports games like uh, Dota 2, League of Legends, StarCraft 2, things like that. But they got more prize money uh, per game, which means I guess they get more sponsors. It's getting more notoriety. I mean, what ESPN two in twenty fourteen had that special on Dota two. Yeah. I think we're gonna see that continue to grow, and that's great. Oh, but that that wasn't a good special though. No, no, but it's a start. <laughs> it, it wasn't a good special, but it, it's a start. Um, I the only the only problem that I have with this is how it's going to affect, um. Co- uh, communities, other competitive communities, 
uh, because now that some of the some of the a lot, a lot of game like com- a lot of game competitive communities, right? There's no money in those computer communities at all. They just play competitive because that's what they love to do. But what I'm worried about is since they see these other games getting money, they're not even going to bother with a competitive scene that doesn't have money floating around. I mean, if that was the case, I would have never been able to play Counter-Strike competitively. Because while, while Counter-Strike did have money if you made it to the CPL level, unless you were playing at CPL, dude, you weren't, gonna get, you, you weren't getting money you know, from playing Counter-Strike. And the Counter-Strike community competitively was huge, and it still is huge because of the community that was before all these tournaments and esports and stuff like that. But, you know, now new games, like, it's going to be hard unless it's, it's cash-infused to get competitive, um, to get some competitive community going. You know, like, I, like I'm trying to think, like, Unreal Tournament, like, I would have never had that competitive community because there definitely wasn't a lot of money in there. Um, in the fighting game community, I'm seeing a lot of, like, you know, People won't travel for tournaments unless there's there's but there's money involved. Whereas with Unreal Tournament, like you know, people just go to tournaments just to go. To, we trap for travel pretty long distances just to get to tournaments, just for 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 pride and for for the win. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's really not 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 happening. Like I know this weekend coming up is uh, Winter Brawl, and Winter Brawl is going to be pretty huge because it does have a good amount of prize money, and you know, uh, that's mainly because of what Big E built. You know, he built that over time. But my fear is, if Big E tried to build something like a Winter Brawl now in, in, in this climate, how much harder would it be? You know? I guess it depends on the partnerships that he can find. On the one hand, on the one hand, yeah, if, if it's one, of, I think it's one of those things where it's like if people see that the money's there, then they're more likely to give money. But, I mean, like you were saying, I think, I think this kind of ties into the last topic, even as far as you were saying, like games are becoming more mainstream. Um, you know, this is like another way that that's manifesting that you have advertisers willing to give money over. Um, so whereas, you know, maybe, you know, if he was trying to start winter brawl now, the companies that he could reach out to would be different and maybe even bigger companies than he would have been able to reach out to before. And they'd actually, you know, respond instead of just giving him the brush off. Well, the only reason he was able to get he's able to get the money he has been is because when a brawl got so big, period. All of his events are major, not all of them, because he does a monthly, and I think that does well. I've never been to one of his monthlies, but his major events, like when a brawl, summer jam, and NEC, are all big events, and he gets money because those are big events, not the other way around. He, yeah. People don't come to those events for money. It's like a chicken or egg thing, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, in in his case, the egg was first, and the egg hatched and it grew. And now you have this big chicken, and people want to pay for the chicken. You know what yeah. I'm saying? The way it is now is like the chicken needs to come first, and you know, people, like you know, nobody like the chicken needs to come first. And if there's no chicken, if it's just an egg, people aren't gonna aren't gonna you know waste their time on it. Yeah. But that said, though, too, there's other opportunities. I think streaming is bigger now than it was back when he started. And I think there's other ways that he can get attention and get to get to revenuers. I mean, even I mean, primarily the, what I'm looking at here is, uh, I guess, uh, the, the person interviewed here is uh, Amari Oliver, who gives some quotes about uh, the uh, esports. Uh, and and uh, Amari is the vice president and director creative of creative strategy at Sparks and Honey, which is trying to show brands the value of esports, uh, including advertisers such as Red Bull, Coca-Cola, American Express, Intel, and Nissan. Um, so, I mean, 
the fact that there's a company out there that somebody's starting a fighting game competition, and then obviously you need to have some level of recognition to get Sparks and Honey's attention. But just the fact that that company exists and is actually looking to do that, that's not something that uh, that Winter Brawl would have had access to years ago. Well, that's 100% true, but at the same time, in order for those companies to see the value, they have to see a large community or a yeah. large enough community. And I don't know if these communities would necessarily form without the money. Like, okay, look at League of Legends, perfect example. League of Legends, it didn't get big until after. Like, I was sorry, people played League of Legends. Not like nobody played it. But it didn't get huge until after uh, Riot started infusing money into its competitive scene. Yeah. If its competitive scene tried to, you know, rise naturally, there wouldn't, there would not nearly be the same amount of prize money we see right now. So Riot started this whole thing. It started this whole thing because without League infusing money and getting those huge pools of cash, uh, I don't think we would have saw a Blizzard do it with StarCraft, and we wouldn't see Valve doing it with Dota. You know? And now Capcom's getting involved. The fighting game community, I guess ultimately what I'm worried about is communities building themselves versus, um, I'm worried about communities building themselves versus companies building these communities. Because the thing I don't like about League of Legends is that Riot controls that community. Pretty much. Done deal. <laughs> they don't do that. Huh? And they, don't do, they don't always do the best job with that. That is 100% true, yes. But Riot controls that community. Um, whereas the fighting game community, the fighting game community was built by itself. The Counter-Strike community was built by itself. The uh, Unreal Tournament community is completely built by itself, and that way, if something happens to a developer, you know, like for like, what happens if something happens to Riot Games, you know, what I'm saying that entire community is gone. Okay, yeah. nobody pay, or you know, there's a ch- or let's say there's a change in management. They change. They, somebody buys Riot, and now they're doing things differently. That community is pretty much it's it's done for. Whereas with fighting games, let's say Street Fighter Five comes out and it sucks. Street Fighter Five comes out and it sucks, and it's has fucking microtransactions and nobody likes it. Okay, no problem. That entire fighting game community can just move on from Street Fighter. There's a there's a huge difference though. I mean, I mean they're both they're both competitive games, but in the case of of Riot, Riot doesn't just own the community. Riot entirely hosts the games themselves. If Riot goes under, it's not just that the forums are gone and nobody's going to know how to talk to each other. There's no game anymore. Right. The, and 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 so I mean in that case really, the problem more so is that communities are becoming game specific. That you can have you can compare the fighting game community, which exists around multiple games, to just the League of Legends community. Where it, that's that's a shift of of, of magnitude, because. That it, yeah, I mean that, and that's 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 fundamentally the thing. I mean, how I mean, I, I you know, I approach approaching this from uh, an MMO perspective. Um, you know, obviously MMOs aren't strictly competitive based, but just looking at that, I mean, it, you know, look at the World of Warcraft community. Look at you know, look at the EverQuest community that we were talking about before, and the state of flux that they're going to be in because you know who knows what Daybreak is going to wind up doing, um, and Planet Side and all the other games that are affected there. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's, it's one of those things where you need, you need to make sure that the community can exist beyond just one single game. I think that's why, you know, it's good. It's good when you see guilds and it's, you know, guilds and streamers and more importantly, like, you know, competitive teams, you know, when you see them involved in multiple 
in multiple games that you don't just see like, oh, hey, you know, like they're the leading, you know, or I shouldn't say the leading, but, you know, you want to see a team competing, you know, in FPSs, you know, not just one FPS, but you want to see them with Counter-Strike and Call of Duty and all that. You want to see, uh, you know, you want to see, you know, people doing Hearthstone. You want to see the same people, not the same people, but at least whoever's involved with them you want to see them backing people doing starcraft and whatnot basically it's almost like a portfolio you want to diversify because if you get too entrenched in just one community around just one game just one experience then that then at that point you've handed the reins of the community over to the developer yes and actually one thing like with the counter community like i said the counter community built itself but even now, it seems like it's being controlled more by Valve than I would really like. Like, you know, Valve handing out bans based on the, uh, you know, the match-fixing shit. You know? Yeah. Which, I mean, it's good that, the, the, that those guys were dealt with. But at the same time, if this was 2007, 2008, it wouldn't be Valve throwing out bans like that. It would be, well, Cal. You know, for, if you played in Cal League or CPL uh, it would be the community handling it. Like, remember when we played Unreal Tournament, there, you know, of course, um, uh, if somebody was caught cheating and it was, uh, it was caught, like, it was caught by, uh, uh, Epic, Epic would ban that key, okay? Yeah. But the community had another list. They had a mod and a list of players that you could ban, not just for cheating, but for bad behavior and things like that. Okay, and they had like a, a global list that you could download and you could be a part of and use on your servers, and it was awesome. You know, if you had a player who was, you know, like they had different lists, like players who were cheesy or just not nice, and it, yeah, it was it was awesome having that ability. And also, Counter Strike has banned lists like that as well if you're running your own server. But in terms of the competitive scene, like Valve, I don't think developers should be getting involved. Well, developers shouldn't be getting involved because the thing about developers is that they don't want to just sell their game to competitors. Like, they, they are, their main concern is not the competitive community. Their main concern is selling it to everybody, which is like League of Legends. You know, League of Legends, they, they want to make sure that the casuals still have fun. And these other games, like, you know, with Destiny, perfect example. They want to make sure that the casuals have fun, which is why Destiny will never have a competitive community. So I played Destiny. Exactly. Nick doesn't even play shooters, but yet he played the Crucible with us. Yes. <laughs> you know, but this is like, they would never have a competitive community. The competitive community should run itself because they are mostly concerned with the competitive community and they will make mods and do things that help the competitive community while completely leaving the non competitive community alone. But I, I guess my question to that, though, is with, with respect to Valve implementing those bans, for those events that Valve implemented the bans on who runs the servers there because you talk about the the, the counter-strike community like hosting their own servers oh. like in that case like yeah if you have all the keys then yes you can lock it down however tightly you want but especially once you start to see this big money infused here from official advertisers it almost seems like the developer's blessing is a good thing in that regard because then you know red bull and coca-cola and american express they know that whenever they get involved with an event there's actually a professional company backing it somewhere who is making sure that it's fair and there's no impropriety or anything like that going on well that's fine but i mean like most of the like when people run big events like Big E, for example he has his own company that you can check up on you can see you can see how his old his other you know you can see complaints you can see how his other events ran i mean the guy like, like i mean he's he's the best example i can think of because um i don't see too many big events 
that are not sponsored by big companies anymore, except for the fighting game community, at least in this area. So like he's a he's a good example, but like you know he has a he has a track record. I mean he's been doing these for a long time, dude. So but so these companies can check, but that's why he gets the sponsors. He does. But I guess the question is: Is Valve sponsoring those events? Because uh, uh, that's what I'm trying to look back over the bands now, and it looks like the bands specifically only apply to Valve sponsored events. But it, the, may- the thing is, uh, Valve doesn't have to sponsor the events because Valve can ban them in VAC which would affect all of the servers, unless you specifically turn VAC off. You have to turn VAC off, which is an option. You can turn VAC off, I'm pretty sure. I know you could do it in Source. I haven't run a server for Go, but I'm pretty sure you can do it. Uh, and if you, like, yeah. Va- Val- Valve can ban um, keys in VAC or uh, GUIDs in VAC, yeah. and if they do that, then you're hosed. Yeah, I don't think they actually banned them from playing counter-strike go like they can launch it on their system those people are just banned from playing in an event which valve is a sponsor of okay so and that and, and that makes sense if you want to have valve as a sponsor you know if, if you're gonna have anybody as a sponsor you're gonna want to play by their rules right so yeah and so th- so that makes sense in that regard right well, we, well but the point still stands that i don't think companies should be managing like the the communities their communities should be managed by the community itself well, I mean, in this case, Valve has good reason to say, like, we know these players are suspect and we don't trust them and we don't want them in an event that we're going to be associated with. I think that's fine. I think if Red Bull came and said, we've got a list of players we don't want participating, I'd be a little more suspect because I wouldn't expect that they'd have the same familiarity with the scene as Valve does. That's very true. But at the same time, if Red Bull comes and says, I've got a million dollars for you to get, you know, to run your competition here. Here's a list of people I don't want to win that million dollars. <laughs> are you really going to, like, put up a fight? No, there you're not. <laughs> you're not. Like, it, depends, it depends. I mean, like, I, I guess you have to to to, uh, to to weigh your options. So, yeah. but um, yeah. Well, I, I think that's gonna that's, that's gonna bring us to the end of our podcast. There, um, I'm not even gonna don't, I'm not even gonna talk about the release list because there's really nothing coming out here. Still, still that I can see it's worth it. Assassin's Creed Rogue is coming to PC, but. I'm not getting it simply because I'd have to get you play, and why would I want to do that? So I'm not doing that. Uh, so yeah, that, that's as always. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can catch us on uh, SoundCloud, which is SoundCloud.com/slash Smash Those Buttons. We are on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher Smart Radio for your Android and iOS devices for downloading or streaming. Uh, let's see, recent podcast we just recorded or we just released the first in orbit, which is our Destiny podcast. It came out on Friday, so you can check that out. Uh, we did do a double tap, the third episode double tap earlier this month. Much better sound quality than before. I was very pleased. Uh, we have a Wow Thoughts coming out this week. I'm thinking Wednesday, Nick. Uh, I'll talk to you about that offline. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna say Wow Talk. I can. That's definitely oh. Wednesday. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. Well, yeah, Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever day you want. Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday That's for the, Wow. That is in the can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Talk coming out on Wednesday. Uh, maybe some uh, Mashcast Plus is coming out this week as well. Uh, but keep your eye out for those. But like I said, th- thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter.com/slash/MTB site, Facebook.com/slash/MashThoseButtons, and YouTube.com/slash/MashThoseButtons. And uh, we will catch you guys next week. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. 